And now, a Blaze Media podcast. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This is the show where we'll do it all school today, where you come for the accent and you stay for the principles. I want to share a story with you, America. And it's a story that I have glossed over 10, 20, maybe even 30 times I've read in the past. But it's a story you need to hear today. And those who are long-term listeners know that when I start talking about the Bible, take cover, because we're in for a battle. It's the story of Jesus right before he's about to be betrayed. And he's in the garden, and he's praying I'm sorry, I didn't plan to get emotional this early. But he's in the olive grove, and he knows about what's about to happen. And if you read the historical account, for those who are not Christians, the story about what I'm about to tell you is still at. Imagine you're a man, and you're hated. You're lied about. That there is people everywhere who listen to what you say, and twist it and misalign everything that you stand for and say that you're lying. And all of a sudden, the Praetorian Guard, the military, if you want to use today's example, I want you to think of Nazi Teal SEAL Team 6 who went after bin Laden. These are the men who are trained, who are equipped who are the most well-trained, well-armed, well-sophisticated military of the day. And you're standing there and you're going to bring Jesus in this story into your charge. And as the story goes in the Gospel of John, I want you to know what real courage looks like. As these soldiers, hundreds of them, approach Jesus with Judas... Jesus has the courage to say, whom are you looking for? And they respond, Jesus of Nazareth. Pause the story right there for a second. We live in a world where we are so filled with bravado. We love to think we're so courageous. We love to think that When the line comes, when the bad guy comes, oh, I'd be a tough guy. I saw a guy speak this week who will remain nameless, who is about five foot 11 and about 150 pounds and is convinced he is the toughest guy of all time. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not about him, but I've met tough people. 
I have met some of America's most bravest men and women. They would eat this guy, spit him out, and they wouldn't even break a sweat. But we fill ourselves in society that says, I am tough. Oh, I take you on. What did Jesus say? Knowing who Jesus was, who knew everything that was about to happen to him. Even if you think this story is nothing more than fiction and I'm spreading my Christianity around. Even if you think that, that's okay. How easy would it be to go, oh, Jesus. Yeah, you just missed him, pal. He's just, if you just keep walking down the road behind me, he's right there. But he said, in the most courageous statement, I am he. I've read that verse so many times and I have glossed over it so many times. And just because I see the bigger picture and I know what happens next. But that is real courage. When he said it the first time, they all drew back and fell to the ground. As if it wasn't courageous enough once to say it, he said, who are you looking for? And they responded, Jesus the Nazarene. Yet again, how easy would it have been to, to mock or to stand and say, you know what, I'm actually wrong. I'm not ready for this journey. God, you know, give me one more day on this earth. Uh, you know, I, I'll face this battle tomorrow. He said, I told you, I am he. This is what real courage looks like. Why did I start today's show off with this scripture verse? Because it's time, and we're about to enter a time, whether you believe it from a scriptural point of view, from a Christian point of view, or just from a world point of view, where each and every one of us is going to have a test of courage. Your test of courage will be different from mine and will be different to your mothers, your brothers, and your sisters. It may be a simple case of, do you have the guts to stand up and say what party you are part of politically? It may be a case of, are you brave enough to stand up and say how you vote? Are you brave enough to stand up and say, no, not in my name. This is a line we will not cross. Why am I saying this today? As someone who loves American rhetoric, as someone who talks at every opportunity about the greatness of America, greatness doesn't happen without action. I'm sick and tired of empty words. You know, one of the empty words that I've heard, and it's known by American, by Irishmen, by Englishmen, by Australian men, by European men, never again. Never again. Everyone knows those words when it comes to the Holocaust. And we say them, never again, never again, never again. But what do our actions back it up with? Are we courageous? Do we have the actions to say never again, but this is what I'm doing to make sure never again becomes a reality. Our world is upside down right now. I was having a conversation with a military intel guy last night. 
I was asking him about a certain scenario that's happening overseas, and I just wanted him to clarify some things because he can tell me behind the scenes, this is happening, this is legit, this is BS, this is the real motive, this is a false flag, and he gives me a lot of intel. He'll never be known. And we were just chit-chatting, and then, you know, invariably I got the intel I needed off him, and he was, I was just like, so how's life? And he was actually in a chatty mood last night. Normally it's I need intel, he gives it to me, and the conversation ends. But we were chatty last night. And he was like, John, I don't recognize the world we live in. And I went, why? He said, John, I've been in the U.S. military and around the U.S. military intelligence for over 20 years. Up until the last year, I would have thought there would never be peace in the Middle East, and that is always where all the action would be. But looking around what's going on right now, I'm not concerned about the Middle East, which terrifies me, by the way. He's more concerned about what's happening in other parts of the world. You've got Russia threatening nuclear war. You've got, I spoke about last weekend, you have North Korea talking about more missile launches. You've got China and Taiwan, which will affect the whole world with a chip crisis. The UN came out about a month ago with this report where they've put 35 million, sorry, no, not 35 million, that would be a lot of people. 350 million people are now in food scarcity or at risk of food poverty because of the economic policies that are happening around the world. Just to put that into context, Stalin killed 100 million. And now we're talking about 350 million. But hey, you know, if I was to use the terms of the globalist and the elite, well, our world is overpopulated. And, you know, when we've got all these billions upon billions of people and we're overpopulated, sure, what's 350 million people less on the world, huh? Why did I start with scripture? Two reasons. One we need to get back to eternal truth. The world, America, and if you're a believer, God demands it. If you think you can exist in a world where anything is possible, where there is no science, where there is no logic, where there is no reason, and you think you can live in that world and be free and prosperous and be happy, you're wrong. You've been sold a lie but also to tell you that we are going to enter times where we are all going to have to be courageous. And it's not enough to think of, like, if you love Donald Trump, well, Donald Trump can be my courageous. He can stand up and I'll just support him. No, it's going to take a lot more than that. We can't outsource our courage, America. We're going to have to do it. Because I'm going to start telling you when I bring Tina back after the, after the break, we're going to start talking about stories about what is happening in America right now. And I'm going to tell you these stories for two reasons. One, to tell you about what real evil is looking like right now. But two, to talk to you about opportunity. We have, are seeing a party that used to be liberal, that has been co-opted by authoritarians, posing now as liberals, as moderates, as compassionate people. But they have overplayed their hand. If we now stand with courage, with conviction, and in peaceful terms say, not in our name, we win. We win. I know many of you are tired. Look, I, I'm not going to brag about how much work I've done this week. I'm not at home right now. I'm out on the road helping people win elected office. I'm helping people behind the scenes. I'm not here to tell you how great I am because I know there are plenty of other people who do the same thing. I'm tired too. 
Trust me, nothing would make me more happy than to finally have achieved my American dream after 18 years of trying and just enjoy the journey of America. Nothing would be not more pleasing to me to just live the easy life. But these are not the times we live in. I'm tired too. Even though I try and have this persona of being Mr. Positive, trust me, I'm bipolar. I get pissed off just as much as you do. The difference between me and when I get pissed off, I pray and I self-reflect and I go very quiet. I don't get angry. We Trust me, I have all the emotions that you have. I'm tired. I'm angry. I look around at America, the country that I have loved, that I have fought to get here for 18 years, and I see what it's become. You don't think I'm angry? Just put yourself in my shoes. Would you not be angry if you were me? Would you not be disgusted? What does anger get us? Jesus could have looked at those soldiers and went, I am the son of God. You and your weapons are no match for me. He could have got angry. He could have even been pissed at his God, at his father going, why are you putting me through this? These people are not worth us. Look around at all the stuff, all the scheming and all the lies they said about him. He could have easily went, you know what? You're wrong about these people, God. You know, it's, I, I know you know everything and I'm your son and I'm here to serve you, but these people are just not worthy of me being crucified. Let Send me back at another generation. He didn't do it. He said, I am he. Take those words with you. If they try and cancel you, say, I am he. If they come for your job because you know something is not true and you're not afraid to stand against it, say, I am he. Because here's the dirty little secret and no one wants us to know. And on our side, we're too afraid to say it. There's more of us than there is of them. If we unite, we win. If we stand up, we win. Welcome to the show, our executive producer and co-host, Tina. How are you doing today? Hello, Jonathan. And may I say, amen. Thank you very much. So the left are overplaying their hands. Do you agree? Absolutely. The cracks are starting to show and those cracks are getting larger and larger. You know where I was this week, right? I sure do. And I want to ask you about the school board meeting that was held in Dearborn, Michigan, because there were some parents who were quite irate about some school books that are in the library concerning uh, LGBTQ topics, sexually explicit material in those books, at least the parents deem it as so. But the school board thinks they have it all under control. I understand you were there, Jonathan. I was. Um, it was an amazing, good and bad experience. Um, like, if you're a constitutionalist, which um, the vast majority of people who listen to us are, the idea of being able to have a right to free speech and a right to petition your government, in this case, is school board, um, are, are critical to the American infrastructure and are things that are uniquely American. You know, like if this happens in Ireland, you know, we don't exactly have school boards and we don't have people who we can vote out of office. America does. So you do have that power. But just seeing 
people from all different backgrounds. You know, one of the things we, if we want to win, we're going to have to put ourselves in uncomfortable scenarios. So Dearborn, Michigan, for those that don't know, I'm up here on, on other work and I went to support someone at the event last night. Um, I wasn't speaking. I wasn't even in the auditorium because it was packed within minutes. Um, there was a 600-man woman or child capacity in the auditorium to get in and give public remarks. And then they allowed another 600 in uh, to, to where you could watch on outside the auditorium um, via screen. And if you made enough noise, it was heard inside the auditorium, I was told. And then after that, anybody who left, they would let other people in. They were constantly letting people in and out all night. So there was well more than 1,200 people. It was at capacity. Dearborn, Michigan, for those that don't know, you'd be like, I've heard of Dearborn, Michigan. What, why do I know that? It's heavily Muslim. It was inspirational hearing people who are Muslim last night talking about the Constitution. I heard one Muslim woman talking about how her daughter is so in love with America that she proudly recites the Pledge of Allegiance. I saw Muslim men there who were clearly Muslim because they look Middle Eastern and Muslim and, you know, wearing different things. But they had shirts. There was one guy who I got talking to. His shirt on the back said three Fs. Faith, family, firearms. I, I'm not going to say I love that T-shirt. But that's what I saw last night. This... If we're going to have to get, and this is a conversation I know some one of my friends had last night, why would you ever go there? They're never going to vote for you. That is exactly the problem at a political level that we have. Oh, we, they'll never vote for us, so just let's leave them alone. And then the left go there, and guess what? They get all the votes. And then we sit back on election night and midterms in 2024 and 2026. Kind of, hey, why does that part of society never, ever vote? Why do they constantly vote for Democrats? Because they're only getting one side of the message. We want to start winning. we got to start sharing a message on places that make you feel very uncomfortable, that make you feel, oh, I feel like the odd man out. And especially me, Whitey McWhiteweiss. <laughs> Like, I, trust me, I know what it's like. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm bright orange right now because of, I've got the heating on 80 degrees in the house because it's freezing in Michigan right now. But, you know, normally I'm whitey McWhite white. So you don't need to tell me about, well, it's a bit out of your comfort level. But guess what? They're just humans like us. They put on their trousers, left foot, right foot. They put on shoes. They put on jumpers like we do. They speak like we do. They have the same concerns as we do. And we can find common ground to which the story is that you were bringing up, that these people are just concerned about their kids. This is not a, a left-right issue. This is a parental issue. Well, I was about to bring that up, Jonathan. I'm glad you brought that into the equation because that was my next thing to talk to you about is, yes, we believe in free speech. We want to protect free speech. As a parent for a 12 to 16-year-old, does that parent have the right to say, I don't want my kids reading that book. I don't want my kids to have access to that book in the school library. Well, this brings back a deep philosophical question. What is the purpose of education? To educate. But on what subjects? Uh, math, reading, history, sciences. Yeah. Now, if you live in this perfect utopian world where you're getting top scores across the board and you're like, you know what? Mathematics, we got it down, baby. 
English, we got it down, baby. Oh, my God, all our schools, oh, all they know is George Washington and the founding fathers and the history of America, both good and bad. We've got it all down. You know what? We can maybe broaden our curriculum. Maybe then you can start looking at teaching other stuff. But when you're in the tank for, like, I, I someone was telling me this week that if you were a fourth grader or the age of a fourth grader back in the founding era, you're at the same level of education as you are as a college professor today. Yes, that's how much we have dumbed down education. People who were at the fourth grade level in the 1700s and the 1800s could read the Bible and understand it. College professors today, we think, we think, oh, well, I'm a college professor. Oh, yes. oh, I'm so much better than you. Yeah, not compared to historical standards, you're not. You're quite dumb compared to historical standards. That, not, not dismeaning anyone or insulting anyone, but just historically comparison, that's true. But do we have a right to control what's in our family? Do we have a right to control what we teach our kids? This is the whole question of government or parental rights. Which side do you stand on? I stand definitely with the parents. And of course, there's this big thing. I'm sure you've heard it, that it's they are our children. You've heard that. That's a new thing going right now. Mm-hmm. The kids are not the parents' children. They're our parents. It's that collective group. Well, what if this part of the group does not have the same principles and beliefs that I do? Mm-hmm. We can't do that. We can't lump all our children into one big group. You don't know my child. You don't know my beliefs. You don't love my child. How can we frame this as our children? I don't get that. It takes a village. A big village. (laughs) It takes a village, if I may quote Hillary Clinton. But also, like, this is why freedom is such the powerful argument. Like, if you want to look at the demographics, the biggest section of society in America is Christians. Now, maybe not all of them practice, but, you know, as, as a term that everyone asso- associates with, or, you know, when it comes to that box, clicks Christian, it's the biggest portion of society. Well, then how about we take a village and it's our children and we'll start raising them the way Christian wants them to raise. Do you think the left will be okay with that? I'm guessing no. <laughs> and it all goes back to Jonathan about the lower level, the government, the better. We don't want the national government deciding what our kids read in school. I don't even know if we want the state level a lot of times to be deciding what our kids read in school. But if we take it down to the district level, that is even a smaller group with the people probably leaning in one direction. So you'll have more of a consensus. A government as close to the people as possible. And what I saw last night is we need to get out of the mindset because our world is changing. I saw it last night of, well, these are lefties. These are Democrat voters. These are not the typical Republican voters. These are terms how I heard people described at that meeting last night. Look, can we just get away from the politics of things and let's start finding common ground? Look, me and you take the average Muslim and me, we have a lot of disagreements. We disagree on Jesus. We disagree on who, who God is. Cause I say God and they say Allah, and, which is God. You know, we have disagreements probably on Israel. We have disagreements on Palestine. We have disagreements on probably economic policy. Um, we probably have disagreements on the Hadith. Um, I know we probably have quite a few disagreements on the Hadith. Um, and I, I'd have no problem discussing it, but why do we always have to lead with where we disagree on? How about we start focusing on on this issue? Let's find common ground. 
on this issue, do you believe a boy's a boy and a girl's a girl? Yes, I do. Do you believe that we should teach our kids these things at any level? Or do you think the parents should be the ones to decide this? I believe the parents should decide it. Cool, so do I. Because uh, what annoys me about the issue is, is that last night I saw, I was listening to the comments very carefully, was it's all framed in the LGB um, textbooks. That's part of the issue. Don't get me wrong. But there's also um, books and these schools now which they're teaching people. Like, if I may be vulgar here, and just so everyone gets it, there's books out there that they're teaching people how to perform sex acts on boys and how to get the most out of it. That's in some of these books. And it's all done under the guise of sexual pleasure and to, to know different things and to educate things and, and all these different things and, and going into deep, great details of how much, you know, they draw all these diagrams of women's uh, body parts and where they like, and you can fill in the blank and it's all this thing. I'm going to use myself here. I'm not going to speak for anyone else. If you're a 38-year-old guy and you feel the need to get this book, go for it. But if I don't want to know it, don't want to know it. Don't need it. Don't want to know it. Want to live in ignorance. Whatever the reason is. But having this been read to your kids, can you imagine having that conversation? I am just trying to understand, Jonathan, how so many of these school boards are completely out of touch. How did that happen? Because they've all been sold the lie of being inclusive. That's all it is. Well, we got to be inclusive. Now, let's take that to the extreme. Okay, guess what? And I'll use the, the, the typical boy arguments. Okay, yeah, I want to be inclusive. Can I have Playboy in the library too? I just, or jugs or whatever, you know, whatever. <laughs> whatever. I, I never read these books, so I have is no that idea. A real, is that a real magazine, Jugs? I have, I have no idea. I'm sure it, ha it has just, to be. If not, you just gave someone a great idea. <laughs> That's not what I be not want to be known for. <laughs> But yeah, like, like imagine someone literally wanted to do that in high school. Would you be like, yeah, and, and just, can you imagine, Nick, you're, you're a teacher. Can you imagine literally, though, well, you know, you see a guy with a Playboy and he's there. Oh, yeah, look at that. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. And you're like, what are you doing? Just reading the book from the library? You'd be like, no. <laughs> and this is, again, where it comes into play, Jonathan, that the time to be silent if there ever was a time, is over. Absolutely. We're talking about the future. Like, it's easy to get caught up in the issue of these certain books. They'll, they'll frame it as this. Well, it's this book or this book or this book. This is, that's the small issue. That's the surface issue. The principle is, who gets to decide what your kids get taught in school? Is well, it the it parents? Be me. Exactly. And like, you're a mother. Like, imagine... You, you can probably speak to this more at length than I can because you're a mother and you've got kids. Why is parental rights on education so important? Because there are some things that are not needed in the classroom that don't belong in the classroom. I see what goes on in the school and I substitute teach a lot. There are a lot of gaps. There are a lot of different areas where we are failing we need to concentrate on those basics. We are failing on the basics in many different capacities. We need to focus on that and get our kids where they belong. I have to tell you a story. As a substitute teacher, I am in the classrooms of fifth and sixth graders quite a bit. 
Now, I don't know about you, but when I was in elementary school, I knew my times tables up and down, back and forward. I knew them up through 12 times 12. Well, to begin with now, did you know up until fifth grade, they're only teaching them up through 10, which I don't understand. And last week I was in a class, in a sixth grade class, where they were doing math sheets. And some of those students were struggling with four times six, seven times eight. This is a sixth grade classroom. It blows me away. Why are we worried about these gender ideology books, the sexual explicit material in books, when our kids are struggling with basic math? Well, that's because maths is a a symbol of white supremacy. I was about to say that. It's racist, isn't it? It is. Well, that was one of the arguments that they made. Um, that you know, because well, it was the white man who came up with the numbers. So obviously, if you if you don't like numbers, then you know it's it's a symbol of white supremacy. And or if you like numbers, you're a symbol of white supremacist. And you're you're literally like Hitler himself. You know, like if you're like four times six is twenty four. Oh well, there's Hitler right there. You know, he was he was all on the war, Western war front, kind of going four times six is twenty four, four times seven is twenty eight. That was what Hitler was talking about. That was in some of his best speeches. And wasn't it the governor of Oregon who did away with some type of standardized testing because they were racist? Yeah. This is the world we're living in. This is where I want to take it in a slightly different direction and bring it personally to you. Can you imagine you're so you're a substitute teacher. You when you have days off, you go in and substitute. You imagine being told, okay, Tina, this is the curriculum that you need to teach the kids today. Oh, and by the way, you can, will you read this chapter of the book where it talks about people's genitals and sexual pleasure and LGB? Are you going to be comfortable teaching that? Let me tell you what I am able to do that a lot of other people can't do. I substitute for extra money because I think I've told Jonathan, my husband won't let me take money out of savings for vacations. <laughs> I am a stay-at-home mom. Boo. Boo, husbands. Boo. I am a stay-at-home mom, and I go in a few days a week and substitute just to get some extra spending money for vacations, Christmas, all that fun stuff. I have the luxury, if I were to go in and that was something I was going to teach, it was on the lesson plan, I would refuse. I would walk out. I would say, I'm not doing this. But unfortunately, Mm -hmm. because of the time that we're in, there are a lot of people who don't have that same choice because they're afraid, they're worried about losing their jobs. Now, this is where I want to tell you the story of last night where I can tell you the left have overplayed their hands. So this is a contentious issue, right? And we've discussed it and we've tried. Obviously, we come from a, a certain vision of parental rights and you know, let's not over-sexualize our kids in any way, whether it's gay, straight, or, you know, any type of sex. Let's just let our kids be kids. But it was, we've been trying to be, we've had a reasonable conversation about it. The left who were there last night were not trying to have a reasonable conversation. One of the comments that was really bad that got one of the worst reactions, and it wasn't because of what was said, it was because of the way it was said, so when you went into the school board last night, what it basically was was the typical auditorium seats all facing one way uh, towards the stage. And on the stage, they had the, the school board there. And then they had mics set up that they would talk and they would let, allow guest speakers. And you were told, the rules are very clear, address your comments to the board. That's who you're there to talk to. 
The person who got the worst reception last night was a liberal who was clearly gay, didn't address one of his comments to the board, was literally there to incite all these Muslim people. He was using inflammatory language, his tone. He was angry. He called them bigots. He called them homophobes. He said that you're, you know, that you're been fooled by the tread of right wing extremism. And just literally went on a tirade. Every pretty much 90% of the comments on the quote unquote liberal side. And I would argue it's not the liberal side. We need to change, understand the language. These are, if you're like on the side of let's over sexualize our kids, I'm sorry, you're not a liberal. You're an authoritarian. You're an far left extremist who might use the word liberal. Well, like, you know, liberal is more accepted. I'm just like every other liberal. I want everyone to be LGB. No, that's not what every liberal wants. Every liberal wants just to be left alone. And don't 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 tell me what I have to say and don't over sexualize my kids. It's the far left who are posing as liberals. They weren't there for a discussion. They were there to demonize. And if you want to think of it from a political point of view, they were demonizing their own group. Because as we spoke about last week, you will comply, comrade. And I can tell you one thing. The people there last night were not complying. They were very much like Jesus. I am he, and I am standing up against this. I love that there is an uproar happening around this country. Finally, people have had enough. It is time for change, or it is time to go back to what America was before this change. Absolutely. And you want to take under one other note before we move on to the next story. Exactly. You want to take example of what some of those Muslim people did last night. Do you know what was amazing to see last night? And I don't know enough about the Muslim culture. Was it a certain reason they did it at certain times? But in the auditorium, outside the main auditorium where it was full, all the rest of the people, one person would start praying, and Muslims are very clear. They're like Catholics. It's very clear when they're praying. You know, Catholics always take out, like me and you would just pray, and we could just be in Ramon, but we could be praying to God, or we could be having a deep philosophical thought, or we could be asleep. Catholics, you always know they're praying, because usually, and I hate doing the stereotypes, usually a Catholic, when they pray, prays the rosary, and usually they'll have the rosary beads out, and you see these beads, and they're going along from diamond to diamond to diamond to diamond, because they're doing the Hail Marys, and the, 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 the Our Father, the Tail Hail Marys, and the glory. Be. Muslims are also very clear they're praying because they stand up, they pray, and then they get down on their knees and put their heads to the ground and then get up and then put it down again. Do you know what was amazing last night? Just in the middle, all of a sudden something would happen and one person would start praying. And within seconds, that one person became five, became ten. Imagine just having that. Like Christians all, well, why would you ever want to take an example from a Muslim? Why would you ever want to do that? Well, imagine if we had that courage that all of a sudden, just in the middle of no reason, we just started to visibly pray. Oh, and by the way, we led by example. They weren't chanting. They were just quietly praying and you had to get real close to them here. And they were praying in Arabic. So I didn't understand. I understood some of the praises, but not all of them. But they just would start praying and they weren't causing a disruption. But so many people would saw, saw one person praying and went, they're praying. Hey, I need to go pray too. Imagine if Christians had that courage. Imagine Christians just had the courage to go, you know what? I'm just going to start praying. Just going to start walking around. I'm just going to start praying. And then I'm going to just be by example. I'm not going to say, hey, everyone come pray. Let's get this big photo up of all of us praying. No, I'm just going to start praying. And then people are going to be inspired and join me. Can you imagine if Christians had that conviction? By the way, this school is known as a Muslim area school. This has happened in other areas of the country, and there hasn't been as much outrage. 
So maybe, just maybe, before we look down our nose at, well, all oh, these are just Muslims and they're a democratic plants and they're Democrats, they're never going to vote Republican or never going to vote for Trump or never going to vote for my guy or girl. Maybe if we follow by their example and stop demonizing them and start working with them, maybe they just might. So before we get to the last news story of the day, I just want to have a little fun because, you know, we're, we were talking about parental rights. We're talking about, you know, over-sexualization of kids. Joe Rogan and Tulsi Gabbard were in the news this week. And before I get to the story, I want your reaction to, in case you haven't heard about this, Tina, because this is, I've heard this version of this story so many times now. It's becoming, it's becoming popular to do. And I just want your reaction to it. But on the Tulsi Gabbard front, can we stop this is just a personal plea for me, for my own sanity. And I've been extra emotional the last few days. You heard it in the monologue. I apologize for that. But can we stop assigning motives to her? Like, you know, oh, isn't it great she's left the Democratic Party? Yes, it's wonderful she's left the Democratic Party. And, you know, if I may use the, the old quote, you know, I didn't leave the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party left me. <laughs> right. But can we stop making her into some type of conservative icon? Look, Tulsi's really good on some issues. I like Tulsi Gabbard. You know, I would love the opportunity to sit down and do a, a long-form interview with Tulsi. I would love that opportunity. She seems very reasonable. But she is not a conservative icon. She is no Ron DeSantis. She's no Christy Nome. You know, there's a lot of people who have done She's no Rand Paul. She's good, but she's no icon. But also, can we stop with the, oh, well, is she going to join the Republican Party? How about this? How about we not just focus on the politics of things and let's just Tulsi be Tulsi. I don't know what her plans are. Maybe she's got some political ambition to be a vice presidential ticket for someone or she's got off things to starting up her own party or she's going to join the Republican Party. Or maybe she doesn't have any of those and she's just going to be a voice in the media. How about that? Let Tulsi be Tulsi. Let's get that hashtag trending, all right? But did you hear this story? Sorry, I go did. Ahead. No, I did. And you know what I love is that you ended with woman because that was one of her big things about leaving the Democratic Party. She was in trouble for not attending a women's rally. But the hypocrisy of it is many on the left was her point. Cannot even tell me what a woman is. Yeah. How can I stay with a party that is so torn apart that yeah. they can't even have a definition for what a woman is. This is hypocrisy. I can't do this anymore. I'm out. I loved that you used woman and voice because yeah. both of those came into play. And that's why I say this to you. And I said it to you at the start, the left have totally overplayed their hand and it's time to call them what they are. I get really upset and frustrated with people behind the scenes and go, Oh, that's those liberals. We need to start educating people because where I come from, where I came from, sorry, not come from, where I came from, I was a liberal. I'm a classical liberal. If you understand the definition of classic liberalism and you're a constitutionalist, the chances are you're a classic liberal too. It's just the left have bastardized that language and said, no, we're liberals. The left are not liberals. But it's this is what we're facing. We're not The problem in the world is not liberalism. It's the leftist manifestation that, that have made liberalism the problem. It's not actually liberalism by definition. And we need to start calling them out where these people can't tell you what a woman is. Like we're disrespecting 50% of the population openly by going, oh yeah, I can't define what you are. And this world of 
you know, and let's just be, let's have a bit of fun here because this has been a serious show. Like, it's so disrespectful to you. You're a mom. You're a wife. The idea that I could wake up tomorrow and, and a six hundred, six foot one, three hundred pound guy could go, I'm now a woman and I'm just like you. And I know exactly what you went through going through puberty. I know exactly what you went through having your kids. I knew exactly what you went through with the debate of whether you breastfeed your kids or not, or whether you formula kids. I know exactly what it was like to raise kids as a mom. I'm just because I have now identify as a woman. I know exactly, and me and you should be treated the same as a woman. I'm sorry. No. Well, I have a couple of points on that, Jonathan. First of all, it. I'm very offended by your white maleness as a woman. <laughs> and and second I'm very of all, offended by my lack of hair as a woman. <laughs> you should be. And second of all, I have to bring this in, and I don't think you know about this. At least I asked you at one point about that teacher in Canada. You've, have you heard this? This was a man. No. This is a man who identifies as a woman who is a woodshop teacher in Canada who has enormous breasts, like enormous. You have to see the picture. And on top of that. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Just for clarification purposes, you do you and I'll do me. I do not have to see the picture. Okay. Do not. Well, I can live quite happily without ever seeing that. I have a mental image and it's not a good one. Okay. Well, this is just to kind of show you how far the liberal woke agenda has become in our part of the world. There is a woodshop teacher in Canada who identifies as a woman. It's a man has a very long blonde wig on huge breasts. I mean, huge. And on top of that, the breasts that this person has, I'm just going to be real here too. And a little vulgar. Hey, Jonathan, hard nipples. Okay. And students have complained, but guess who the school board is supporting? Um, I wondered. I'm guessing the students. They are supporting this person's right to be who he, she, they are, is. See, I don't even know. I don't even know how to, to phrase that because they um, are, they is. Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea. And look, you know, there's people who will listen to this who are on the other side and go, oh, my God, do you hear the hate? Look, we're freedom loving people. If you want to dress like that in your own home and you want to go out and, on a Friday night to a bar and you want to do stuff, go for it. If anyone says you can't do that, I will be the first person there saying, yes, you can and leave this person alone. However, we're talking about two different things. Like, I, you know, if I want to wear, you know, if I want to wear a hoodie and, a, you know, sweatpants to an event, you know, that's not going to go well. You know, if, you know, there's certain decorum that has to be, you know, filled in with your job. We can moan about it. We can complain about it. We can think it's unfair. But if you don't like the way you have to dress at work, you know, people at McDonald's uniform can't go into McDonald's going, hey, I just happen to be wearing this Burger King uniform today, but I work for McDonald's and I'm going to serve you a Big Mac with it. McDonald's would kind of go, no, you're not. Take your top off. Wear a McDonald's shirt. That's the way it is. And if you don't like it, leave. I have to end this by saying that in a wood shop area, mm -hmm. it could be dangerous because I it showed a picture of this person using a circular saw, I believe, and they were right wow. there. It could yeah. be dangerous. Oh. But on that note, Jonathan, MSNBC, which I understand is a particularly favorite network of yours. 
Oh, I watch it. Oh, if I had to add up the amount of minutes I watch this every day religiously, uh, if I carry the zero, carry the one, approximately zero minutes a day, consistently religiously for the last 20 years. All right. Well, my husband and I were flipping channels. It was a few days ago and it fell on MSNBC. And I don't know why, but we stopped there for a moment. And mm -hmm. what I watched, what I heard made my jaw hit the ground for a solid six minutes. Okay. Let me tell you why. All in with Chris Hayes, there was a substitute, and i sorry if I mispronounce his name, Mehdi Hassan. Mm -hmm. He had a six-minute intro that completely flabbergasted me. Okay. This intro was about how there has always been a white supremacist fringe in the modern Republican Party. Let me give you some of the examples that he cited, and you are going to love the first one, Jonathan, okay? Because mm -hmm. his thing was that Republican presidents are all racist. <laughs> he started off, Jonathan, with Ronald Reagan. Oh. Let me read to you what Ronald Reagan said, and you tell me where the racist remark is in this, okay? In Chicago, there was one woman using 80 names, 30 addresses, 15 telephone numbers to collect food stamps, Social Security, and veterans' benefits for non-existent deceased veterans' husbands, as well as welfare. She collected $150,000 in tax-free cash. Stop. That's going to get me angry for a whole different reason, but that's a racist statement, is it? He said that was a blatant racist comment. Why? What was his, what was his theory? Is, it, is the woman who committed the fraud a minority? Okay, well, this is the thing that I need to point out, Jonathan. It was not mentioned in this part. So is he assuming that this person is a person of color and so that makes him racist? Yes, Yes, because people of color can't work. They automatically live on the government. But here's the one thing that always annoys me about when people point out welfare abuse and they always point out the military ones. What annoys me the most about that is the military welfare have a budget. And when that budget goes, it goes. That money could have been given to such a more needy family. So if, if you're against any fraud, like I, I don't want any fraud on any level, but I'm not stupid enough. I've read enough history that there's always going to be fraud. Even if you have the most 100% foolproof system, there's going to be one person that will spend their days and weeks and months trying to get around it and get more money for doing absolutely nothing. Fraud will always exist in life, in government, and every other aspect of life. It's just history says this. And to say it's going to go away 100% is, is just totally discarding history of America, of Ireland, of, of basically of any civilization that's been known to man. There's been fraud, even if you go back to the ancient Roman Empire, to the ancient Greek Empire, to the, to the you know, even back to the time of Moses, there was fraud. That's just the way it is. The military fraud is the fraud that really pisses me off because I know melee military because the reason it pisses me off is because maybe I'm in a blessed position and maybe a more fortunate position to have military friends. The one thing I always know about the military is, is they're the last person to ask for help. And sometimes they're the most person who needs to ask the help the most. And, you know, that many money that was frauded out of them 
could have been given to someone who legitimately needed it, but would never ask for it because they love their country so much. And they would go back and serve tomorrow to a heart, to a T of all the people who are in this. So anytime you defraud the military, anytime you fraud anyone, I don't like you. Um, I think you, there should be some type of legal consequences. When you fraud the military, sorry, you know, I, I don't care what type of person you are. You're not a good person. Well, he doesn't end there. Let me read you one other one. Okay. George Bush was running an ad and the ad mentioned something that Dukakis was doing. Okay. He favored, he would let convicted murderers get weekend passes. There is an ad that was ran and it concerned Willie Horton, a convicted murderer who Dukakis released for weekend passes, 10, 10 passes. On one of those, he raped a woman several times and stabbed her boyfriend. It just so happens that Willie Horton was black. Yeah. This is this is the modern Democratic Party that's been overtaken by authoritarians. This is literally what it is. But you have to understand something. There's as frustrating as these stories are, there is a reason they do this. Because when your basic rule of politics is this, and it's the same, you know, whether it's Ireland, England, America, Republican or Democrat, left or right, socialist, fascist or conservative, doesn't matter what you are. It's the same rule. If you have won a race and you're good, you run on your record. If you're bad, you run on the opposition record. And if you're really bad, you make up lies. And that's what you're seeing right now. Anyone who wants to take confidence in why why I can say they have overplayed their hands and that you're about to win is because those statements are clearly not racist. There's not the average American. Forget what you see on MSNBC. Forget what you see on CNN. They are not the 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 idea that anyone who works for CNN is the average liberal. I'm sorry, you have to. Maybe again, I can say this because I've met some of these people behind the scenes. They're, they they live a very privileged life. Like the average person, like I remember getting told this, someone who I know was going for a job in Fox as a behind the scenes producer. And they weren't getting paid enough at 125 grand a year. And the reason that now I thought you're crazy. What do you mean you're not getting paid enough to be a producer of a show? And they went, yeah, because by the time I have to live near Manhattan and they went through their costs, I went, okay, fair enough. You have this thing. But how much does the average American earn 125 grand? No. So that's a producer. The hosts are on considerably a lot more. If you think these hosts are not living in a bubble, all the media people live in a bubble. If you think of, and, and by the way, it's the same on our side, by the way, in case you think I'm just demonizing the left. The people in the hosts, we generally talk to, say, even me. Now, I, I go outside my bubble because I, I'm not just in the media. I'm in the media. I'm in politics. I'm in communications. I'm in advising people about different things. I'm in just in the private bubble as well. I'm in many different bubbles. I don't have one. But media people on the right only have their bubbles. They hear certain things. They see things through a certain filter. They see things and they, just, they either use them or discard them because of their, their training and what's, what's apt for them or what's popular or what they, their audience wants to hear. That can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. But the average person on the right, the average person listening to this show, I can tell you some of the circles, even the circles at the blaze. If you think you have someone in common with Glenn, a person who is a really good person, but literally can hire a private jet tomorrow Jonathan, if he wants to. I yeah. have one thing in common with Glenn. <laughs> You're a Mormon. 
<laughs> no, but this is not this is not this in, insulting their character. This doesn't mean that they're bad people. But like you think, and even like even people who love Trump. If you think you have and Trump has anything in common with the average American life, I'm sorry, you're you're vastly deluding yourself. Wake up, Trump. If he wants to, can let's think about this. There's 330 million people in America, okay, on both sides of the aisle. Donald Trump is probably a part of a group of 0.01 percent of Americans who, if he wants to tomorrow, he can make a phone call and go, "I'm going to Ireland. I'm going to England. I'm going to another part of America. I'm going to the Middle East, and I can go on my own private jet. Fuel her up." That's how part of an exclusive club Donald Trump is. You think he has anything in common with you? Yes, he might eat the same meal as you. He might, well, John, he loves McDonald's. You saw all the pictures, him having his Big Mac. He's just like me. Yes, he's just like you and that he eats the Big Mac. But here's the thing. Do you think Donald Trump went to McDonald's to buy his own Big Mac? Maybe. No. He has a team of people. This is not, I'm not slandering Donald Trump. I want to be crystal clear on this. I'm just saying that we all have our bubbles. We need to start distinguishing. We can say, look, Basin, this guy, what's his name in MSNBC? His name is Medi or Medi Hassan. He's an idiot. Okay. And he's trying to inflame you. He wants to make every Republican as a racist. Why? Because here's the thing. Just put yourself in that situation. Imagine you're Medi and you've got a show to do this weekend or this week on MSNBC. And you're you're clearly in the tank for Joe Biden. What are you going to do? Gas prices? Oh, they're going up. The economy? Yeah, everyone knows it's failing. The stock market? Yeah, it's not what it was. Currency? Inflation? No, it's still way high. The people are hurting. What What can you run on? You can't... You can't talk one positive story about the Democrats. So what are you going to do? You can make the Republicans. And if I can tie the Republicans to a historical case of racism, well, do it. But also the other thing is, who's watching that? That article, that show on MSNBC, listen to that argument kind of, you know what? The light's gone off in my head. This guy is right. He really, the Republicans really are racist. I've never seen it until use those examples. And now I understand the Republicans have a, a history of racism going all the way back to Ronald Reagan. Who's watching that today in this world and all of a sudden has just got it? Well, Jonathan, one of his things was too, and I need to include this, is that the GOP has a history of racist remarks, racist presidents without the GOP giving them any repercussions. And I want to say that because before you say anything else, I want to read to you some of the racist comments that our current president, Joe Biden, has made through his career. If I may Mm -hmm. go for it. Here we go. In August of 2020, Biden said to Hispanic and black journalists, unlike the African-American community, with notable exception, the Latinox community is incredibly diverse. In 2010, in a eulogy to his friend, Senator Robert Byrd, a former Cyclops KKK, he referred to him as one of my mentors. Barack Mm -hmm. Obama, he said of him, he is the first African-American who is articulate, clean, and bright. Mm-hmm. And then also in 2006, you can't go to a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. Let's go all the way back to 1977. Was Biden for desegregated busing to schools? 
No, he was not. Because he said if we did that, that it would be a racial jungle. Mm-hmm. And I bet there was a lot of repercussions for Joe Biden, and he's now the president of the United States, the most exactly. powerful man in the world. I am just, yes. it makes me so angry to hear this rhetoric on MSNBC, where the only goal on that is to piss people off. And it's not even the truth. It's Mm -hmm. lies, 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 lies. And I pray that the American people are waking up. They're hearing these lies. They know their lies and they're going to do something about it with their votes. I believe they will. But if we are wanting to do a massive change in society, just strictly from a political point of view, we must be people of courage and actually give them a reason to vote for our side. And currently the problem with the current Republican Party is they are not of good character. They are not men of steel, of spine and women of spine. What they are is spineless. Case in point, right? I've got many disagreements with Mike Lee. I've disagreed with him both on the air when I interviewed him many years ago on different things. I disagree on not arresting your political opponents. I believe in the rule of law. I disagree with him on on some of his tax policy. That's okay. I think he's a fundamentally good dude. I know him behind the scenes. We just disagree on some things. He's from your great state. That's right. You should see the ads going on here, Jonathan. But he has to ask Mitt Romney to endorse him over Evan McMullen. You've got a fellow Republican asking a fellow Republican to endorse him. Why? That should be automatic, pretty much. But well, it's not. Why? Because the Republicans who are like Mitt Romney are weak, spineless, pathetic cowards. Oh, people said I can't be political. Oh, I can be political when I'm annoyed. And I'm very insulting today, and I apologize. But that is who Mitt Romney is. Mitt Romney has never been a good guy. Never has been, never will be. Don't let, let, let the holier-than-down Mormon. Which you know, we Utah loved him, loved uh-huh. loved him when he was running for president. But as a person living in the state of Utah, I think he has a very slim chance of keeping his office when he is up because he is a wolf in sheep's clothing and he is not what he proclaimed to be. I am almost ashamed to have him representing our state because I'm so mm-hmm. disappointed in him. So disappointed. I agree. And also, I will say this as someone who is very much in love with your state. The great state of Utah deserves better than Mitt Romney. Um, And hopefully in a couple of years, you fix that problem. But hopefully, as as much as I do have some disagreements with him, Mike Lee is a good guy. And I hope he wins re-election because he's a net benefit, a net plus. But this is the thing. If we want to turn our country around, we've got to start giving a vision. I had another conversation. I'm in Michigan this week, so I've had a lot of conversations with different people and about the Republican platform. And they said, they said, you know, that we were talking about the Dearborn event and the different other few other events. And I went, do you know what the Republican platform is today? And their first reaction was because they're a political operative. What it is or what it is in reality or what the platform says it should be. And I went, well, either. And he went, they're two different things. So we have to clarify that before we can just start talking about it. And I went, there's your problem. Why is it indifferent in reality compared to what it's written down and what it should be? Who knows? The way, if you look at the Republican platform, it's a pretty decent platform. I agree with probably 85% of it. In reality, it's not practiced at all. And that's if we want to make major changes, we must get behind a platform. We must set out a vision for the future of our country. We must get away from this left, right, top, bottom, Republican and Democrat. We need to start basing it on issues. 
Are you for parental rights? Yes. Then it doesn't matter whether you vote Democrat or Republican. It's about let's unite on that issue and let's clean up our school boards and let's get good parental rights people in there. Are you for science? Oh, how could you say you for science? Are you for science that boys have a penis and girls have a vagina? Do you remember that scene out of Kindergarten Cop? Yes, I do. <laughs> How long is it on that? Like we, that was a joke twenty years ago. For those that never saw that movie, it's a great movie with Arnold, or not great, but like it's a funny movie and with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he's well, now he's, that little kid is probably considered transphobic. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but his first introduction to Arnold Schwarzenegger as the teacher is, you know, boys have a penis and girls have a vagina. He's showing off to the teacher. His dad's an obstetrician. He knows. Yeah, exactly. Right. But today, that's considered hate speech. So we need to get to a point where we start standing for the issues. Because I'm telling you right now, with the stories I've shared and all the other stuff I've seen, which I'm going to share over the coming weeks, if you stand for things, we win. The left, uh, the authoritarian left, have taken over the Democratic Party and have overplayed their hands. They're losing. They're losing. And if we just had the courage to stand up with a platform and then we had people like George Soros who were just willing to invest in their vision for the country, regardless of chances of winning, and just gave millions upon millions to certain candidates and certain funds and certain programs. Like George Soros, I can't stand the guy. The guy is one of the most evil dudes in the world. Europe actually has it right in parts where he is banned from entering the country because of the economic damage he has done. America won't do that, but parts of Europe Bernie Sanders is right. There are parts of the European platform we can adopt and make American. That's one of them. But George Soros, to his credit, has a vision. I despise the vision. But he doesn't care about a million dollars here. He just gave Stacey Abrams another million dollars to her campaign. He doesn't care about that million dollars. He's just doing it because he's putting it out there. We don't have anyone. The people on the right, I'm helping someone in Michigan run for office. Their net spend on ads is $6 million to the Democrat to about 400000 to the to Republican. How is that right? And what annoys me the most is because I go behind the scenes to these meetings and the Republicans are, well, we're the, we're the capitalists. Well, guess what? You're getting now capitalized by quite a margin by the socialists that you hate. Well, that's because we care about our money. Well, then how about which do you care more about, your money or your country? Because the truth of this is, I'm sorry I'm a bit more annoyed today because I've had so many meetings this week that really annoyed me being part of on the phone and in different places. And this is not just in Michigan, this is around the country. The people who care more about their own wealth and their own success above their country is sickening to me. Because guess what? When this country goes down the tube and if we don't act, it very much will fall. You know, the arrogance of, well, it can never happen in America. I'm sure the Roman Empire always felt it could never fail when it was expanding across Europe and the great Roman Senate. I'm sure when Caesar was around, there were people who said, ah, oh, we've other civilizations fall, but we're going to do it. I'm sure the ancient Egyptians who were building all these tombs and monuments to themselves and bringing their money with them felt they would live forever. Yet they all failed. It will, we will fail. And if you think you can bring your money to the gulag with you or that you can buy a special ride, I'm sorry to tell you, you're wrong. We need to start investing in our country and in our future and in our kids and our grandkids. Because let me tell you something. You want to talk about how passionate we hate the left. If we do nothing and we don't act, can you imagine how much our kids and our grandkids are going to hate us? Because they will read history books and go, you had all this success and you had all these opportunities to stand and you did nothing. Can you imagine what your kids and your grandkids are going to say to you?
It's probably not something very nice. <laughs> well, you can you can point to this podcast and go, I tried. I got with an Irish guy. I think what you're trying to say, Jonathan, is all those civilizations got too big for their britches. They became too conceited in their own wealth and knowledge, and they collapsed. Yes, because they were arrogant and because they said it couldn't happen here, but also because they got so dismoored from reality, from science, from principles. And that's the thing we need to get back to. We need to get back to fundamental truths. Wake up, America. Wake up, America. With that being said, who have you got on your show this week? On my show this week, We the People, Our American Story, my guest is Kim Olson. Kim is a gold star mom who has suffered tremendous loss. On top of losing her son, who was KIA, she also lost her husband and small son many years ago due to a tragic car accident. But she is filled with hope and patriotism. She deals with her grief through service and doing everything that she can to help our military and veterans. She's incredible. You can go to www.wethepeopleouramericanstory.com and find your favorite podcast platform there. And finally, we salute our U.S. military, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. And I salute you, the great American people, America. Just never, ever forget the sentiments of Stokeville. America is great because Americans are good. The left, the authoritarian left, have so overplayed their hand. And I don't want you to listen to today's show and be down or be upset. I want you to be motivated. I want you to understand we're winning if, and my God, is that an if, if we have the courage to say, I am he. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, have a beautiful and blessed week. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.